0: Good morning, church. This is John chapter 4, and I'm going to be starting at verse number 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, not, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in the truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. They came out of the town and made their way toward him.
1: Um, Isn't that a great story? We're going to talk about it in a minute, so memorize everything she just read. But we're going to do something else. Daryl, would you come up for a minute, please? So let me share with you guys a little bit of news that's going on. Um, When did you start at Covenant Life?
0: What year? uh, 1990.
1: So in 1990, Daryl moved to Sarasota, and in that time, uh, he served in a church called Covenant Life. Uh, After that, he basically uh, helped preserve a church that had lost its lead pastor uh, in Cornerstone Church in Lakewood Ranch. Uh, He really helped and served a church called Gulfgate Church, Uh, and then he helped start a new church called Grace Life Church. For almost 30 years, Pastor Darrell has been having impact in our community In ways that many of you don't have any clue. Matter of fact, the very first time my wife and I needed marriage counseling, it was with Daryl. True story. And uh, I have tremendous respect for him. He's been a tremendous asset to us at Grace Life. He's been a security blanket for me theologically, spiritually, with his experience. I count him as a true dear friend. Uh, Come sometime in the summer, uh, Daryl and Deb, his wife, are going to be moving back to his home state of Pennsylvania. So today actually starts a transition over the next couple of weeks for Daryl. They'll still be worshiping with us over the next few months, but in the next few weeks, he'll wind up his pastoral ministry here. Don't worry, we've already hired a new associate pastor. His name is Les McCurdy. He starts in a... Just, it's just a joke. Shepherding team, it's just a joke. I haven't hired Les. Don't worry. But um, uh, I love Daryl. He's been a blessing to our church a blessing to many of you, and you don't even realize how much of a blessing. So give Daryl a hand. You'll hear from him in a couple of weeks. You. Love you. Thank you, so, today, is, today is the start of what I like to call a healthy transition. Uh, I can't think of a better way for Daryl to wind up his incredible kingdom ministry in Sarasota than to help plant a church called Grace Life, which is unlike any other church he's ever worked in. Am I right? A lot more sinners here. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm Joe Davis. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I'm excited about today's message because last week in our Christmas Eve service, we talked about public Christmas and personal Christmas. And the example I gave of a personal Christmas was the woman at the well. And as I was thinking through that, by Sunday afternoon, I texted Megan. I said, I was going to preach on the Magi. I said, I think I'm going to preach on the woman at the well. She said, I love it. It's a great idea. And so this is our last message in our Advent season. And I've called it Christmas at Jacob's Well. Remember why I call it that. Remember what we've learned over the last few weeks, that Christmas is Advent. And Advent means coming toward. Grace coming toward us. And this is a great picture of grace coming toward this woman. Pam read it, so uh, I'm not going to read it again because it's so many verses. But I just wanted to kind of go through and break it down like we normally do. The history, the theology, and the devotional history. What about man? What did he do? And why and how did he do it? So let's talk about the well rules. Jacob's well was a very important water source in the region. And getting water, especially in a region like Israel, which, by the way, many times of the year is very dry. So getting water every day is a very important task. But there are some specific rules. There were different classes of people that would take advantage of this very important time of day. And there were different times for different people. Some people would come in the morning, some people come in the afternoon, and some, like the Samaritans, the people who were not considered really Jews, the people who really were considered less, you know, lesser citizens, the Samaritans were not allowed to really worship in the temple. They weren't allowed to be a part of the religious culture. They had a specific time of day that they would go and get water, so there would not be intermingling between Jews and Samaritans. As a matter of fact, the woman at the well says, why are you asking me for a drink? Because Jews don't have any association with Samaritans. And I imagine when she said that, she might have said it with a little bit of a snarky, Oh, you want water from me? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jew. Why are you even talking to me? All of a sudden, now you're thirsty, and now I'm good enough for you to talk to? I mean, she didn't know it was Jesus. Maybe that's not how she responded, but that's definitely how I would have responded. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Oh, now you're thirsty? Now you'll talk to me? I hope you're a camel, because you ain't getting no water here, dog. But these times were known by everyone. Everyone knew when the specific times were, and they would not commingle. It was a no-no. You know what this was? This was segregation and racism. At a high degree. You're not even allowed to get water unless we aren't there to see it. So you could see how uh, this woman who not only is she a Samaritan, but she's also a woman. So you add to the fact that not only is she Samaritan, she's not really Jewish, she's also a woman, so there's an additional level and layer of constraint and restriction upon her. And what Jesus does is he shows up and talks to a race of a person who is considered second class, and not only that, it's a female from the second class citizens. The lowest of the low in Jewish society especially the women. And good Jews would not break the rule. They would not go to the well when Samaritans would be there. I would imagine that this was a daily... Think about this. I think for this woman, it was a daily, painful reminder to her of who she was in society, what her sin was, five husbands living with a man that wasn't her husband, her lineage, who she was related to, Her social standing, I am confident that she knew every time she dipped that water in, or dipped that bucket in the well to get water, and there was nobody else around but other Samaritan women. I imagine it was painful racism and segregation that was in her head. And her thought is, there is no way out of this social hell. Jesus is alone at the well. And this specific woman, with her past and her baggage, at this specific moment and appointed time, is there to get her daily water supply. Again, a very important task. Don't forget this later. So that's the history of the well. And what this woman is probably thinking as this Jewish man approaches her and says, hey, I'm thirsty. Can you help me out? Let's look at the theology. What about God? What does he do? Why and how does he do it? He gives her her own personal advent. What is advent? Grace coming toward you. She is not seeking. This wasn't a seeker-sensitive well. We're going to create this well so that Samaritans will come and get water and hear the gospel. That's not what they were doing. It wasn't a well designed to bring in people so they could hear and meet Jesus. Like many churches are designed today. This was a well that was designed for water, and this woman is not seeking God. But there is a specific woman at a specific time, a woman that he had specific, intimate, personal knowledge of about her background with her husbands and all those things, and also understanding the pain and resentment she probably had in her heart towards Jewish people, especially Jewish men in authority. Jesus comes at a specific time, at a specific, a specific place, and the scripture says the disciples were not with him. They went in town to, to kosher publics to get food. So he wasn't even, they weren't even there. He was by himself. So let me ask you a question. Was this a planned event, or was it random? I mean, do you think, just, you know, you guys go get food. I'm just going to sit here and rest. Oh, cool, a Samaritan woman. I think I'll talk with her. Do you think that's how it happened? What are the odds of this woman at this moment being at the well at this time when the rock Jesus was there alone? If it was planned, let's just assume that he planned it. I think we can agree to that, right? Because like, there's just some specific things he says in here. If it was planned, when do you think it was planned? Was it like a day before? Hey, listen, guys, you go to kosher Publix at about two o'clock because you know, because, and I'm going to see if I can't find a Samaritan woman of some type. Hopefully, she'll have five ex-husbands. Hopefully. You think it was a, a day before, a week before, a year before? Is it possible it was happened before the foundation of the world? You guys are all theologically solid back there. I like that. Jesus asks for a drink. This is not insignificant. The woman is shocked because just in those, may I have a drink, he violates hundreds of years of religious protocol. He's at the well at the wrong time, talking to a Samaritan, talking to a woman, and the woman is puzzled for these reasons why of all people are you couldn't you come in the morning when the jewish women are here you have to come now i mean i work hard every day to come down here down from the mountain because i'm not allowed to live in jerusalem i come down from the mountain i get my water i lug it back up and you a jewish man who thinks i'm a second or third class citizen has the nerve to ask me for water Again, I'm not sure if that's she, how she felt, but that's how I would have felt. That's probably how some of you would have felt, too. So I don't think it's, it's, it's speculation, but I think it's pretty accurate. Unless she was the most patient woman in the world. And at first, she hears what Jesus says with earthly ears. Um, he's, he explains that his request is not really about water. That it's a spiritual message. And she's still thinking about earthly water. How, he, he says like this, you know, uh, if you really knew who was asking you for water, you'd ask me for water, and I would give you a drink. Listen, dumb Jewish man, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get water out of the well to give me a drink? See, to me, that's why I think she was kind of frustrated, because her response, you don't even have a bucket. I have a bucket. I don't need you. How are you going to help me? You need me to help you. She is still thinking about earthly water. And Jesus begins to explain the difference between earthly water and living water in verse 13 and 14. He says, whoever drinks of the water of this well will thirst again. But the water that I give, they will never thirst again. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's using water as an example of religion. He goes right into the idea about worshiping in the temple but she still doesn't get it she sees it now in uh, verse 15 as a way to get out of coming down the mountain every day for water if you drink of this water you'll never thirst again she goes please tell me how to get this water i'm sick and tired of carrying this bucket down the mountain i don't want to come i don't want to come back here ever again i hate i resent the fact that i come back got to come down here I resent the fact that I come down here at a certain time of day. I resent the fact that you're here asking me for water. I would love to be able to know how to have this living water that you say will make me never thirst again. I'd love to know how that water gets in my mouth so I don't got to worry about this anymore. i love it. But then there's a deeply personal exchange that takes place. The first thing is he reveals his intimate knowledge of her past in verses 16 to 18. Listen, you want the living water? Go get your husband and bring him. I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. You know what else happens? They begin to have this discussion about the fact that, you know, her ancestors have lived, worshiped on the mountain their whole life, but the Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem. Well, that's not fair. How can I ever worship God if I have to worship in Jerusalem? She reveals how religion has hurt her her whole life. She thinks he might be just like all the other rabbis. In verse 20, religion had insulted her heritage, excluded her and her relatives from worship of God in Jerusalem, but then Jesus turns all that on its ear and he realizes and he, and he proves he's not like the other rabbis and he makes a stunning promise. Soon, worship will not happen in the temple in Jerusalem. It will happen in spirit and it will happen in truth. In other words, the whole system that said you had to come to the well a certain time of day, the whole system that said I'm not allowed to talk with you, the whole system that has caused you pain and regret is going to be turned on its ear and done away with. I'm telling you, there's going to come a day when those who worship God will worship Him in spirit and worship Him in truth and not in Jerusalem anymore. Verse 22 and 24. It's significant to a Samaritan woman who was not allowed to worship as real Jews, quote-unquote, worshipped. As a matter of fact, what Jesus is promising is a dream come true. You mean I can worship my God as well on the mountaintop where my fathers have worshipped for generations as well as the Jews... In, uh, Israel, in uh, Jerusalem worship. And then what's amazing, he's, she says, You know, I have heard that there will come a Messiah one day, and he's going to explain all of this to us. Here's what's so this is what blows me away. This woman, completely separated from temple worship, probably uneducated, all these things, she actually has a better understanding of what Messiah was than most of the Jews in Jerusalem. They all thought it was going to be another King David. A military leader, a ruler to come and conquer the Romans. She says, I've heard that there is a Messiah. I believe there's a Messiah. And one day he will come and explain all these things to us. She understood what the role of Messiah was going to be. It's supernatural, uncanny insight of who he was. And she probably understood it even before some of his disciples, maybe. Most thought he was a military leader, a ruler. She knew he would be a teacher. You know what that tells me? God had been working in her heart well before this random meeting at the well. How could she know that except the Spirit of God reveal it to her? And then we have an amazing thing that happens. We have an impractical reaction. <clears throat> Verse 28 to 30. He says, I am the Messiah. It's me. You know that Messiah you say is going to come explain? I just explained it. The moment that you've heard about, it just happened right before, it was Christmas at Jacob's well for you. I have invented myself. I have come forward. I have revealed myself to you and you in a very personal Christmas kind of way. And her reaction is impractical. The woman is so excited about what has just happened. Think about this. What is she excited about? That a total Jewish man stranger knows she's had six husbands. A man, a Jewish man, knows all about her sin. Knows all about her past and spoke with her anyway and revealed to her all the stuff that the Jews have been waiting for for generations. It just happened, and I'm telling you about it before anyone else. She leaves her bucket. An important bucket. The bucket, and in my, in my idea, you know, the fact she had to take that bucket every day down at that certain time, it, It kind of symbolized probably all the things she hated about her life. And she is so excited about her personal Christmas at Jacob's well that she leaves her bucket and runs to the city she's not supposed to go to and tells the people who don't want to hear from her, Messiah is here. He knows everything about me. Messiah is here. And he knows she ran to the town. And tells everybody what was going on at her Christmas party. (laughs) The daily water supply was so important. She had only one time of day to do it. Yet she is so thrilled by the joy of her personal Advent. Her personal Christmas moment. She leaves her water bucket and runs to town to tell everybody who she just met. She wasn't even thinking about. Get this. this She wasn't even thinking about being thirsty anymore. She was amid being satisfied by living water. She had just drunk the water that Jesus promised, and she didn't even realize it. Before Jesus, that daily water bucket was a symbol of all that was mundane, bad, despised, bitter, and pathetic about her life. But after Christmas at Jacob's well, her life changed forever. She left the bucket behind. She goes into the city that she would never even dream of entering really before to proclaim Messiah to the people who don't want to hear from her. I bet after that interaction, it felt a lot like Christmas for her. What do you think? Think she could sing joy to the world? Think she had an ability to enjoy public Christmas? Clearly she did. She was telling everybody about it. So let's talk about the devotional part of this. Let's talk about your Jacob's well. The moment with Jesus was like Christmas for her because of how well he knew her. Do you guys remember the illustration I gave last week about the gifts, my two favorite gifts, and why they were so great because the people knew me so well? He knew all about her, he knew her past. He understood her guilt over it. He understood her frustration and how religion had hurt her and her relatives. He knew her fears and he knew what she was hoping for, Messiah, to teach all these things. He addressed these in one conversation, one by one, step by step, because he knew what she needed to hear. It's a practical manifestation of the truth in the passages about personal Christmas we studied last week. And in case you forgot them or didn't write them down, don't worry, I'm gonna put them up there for you again. (laughs) Tell me if you think you see how this relates to the woman at the well, all right? Imagine this is being written for her. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written. Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That wasn't last week. Look at the ones from Jeremiah again that I showed you last week. For I know the plans I have for you. One of them being when I meet with you at Jacob's well. Declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope your bucket will no longer define you. Want another one from Jeremiah? Yes, I knew you did. Okay, good. Jeremiah 1 4 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. That's what sanctified means. It doesn't mean to cleanse. It means to set you apart. Before you were born, I set you apart. I, I ordained you. He ordained her for that moment, for Christmas at Jacob's well that day, before he even knew she was born. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. Even the extremely efficient, racist, segregated temple could not keep her from Jesus. Even... The religious could not rob her of her Christmas at Jacob's well. Church, think back to the time that you met Jesus for the first time as your Redeemer. The first time you opened your Advent gift. Reflect on all the things he sovereignly arranged for you for decades for that one special moment. Think of how his intimate knowledge of your soul made his revelation of the gospel uniquely effective for you. (laughs) They like the sermon. That's an amen. You just don't know baby talk. (laughs) Think about this. If you can reflect back on your Jacob's Well moment, your Christmas, your Advent at Jacob's Well, wherever it was, maybe it was at work, Maybe it was at church. Maybe it was at school. Maybe it was at, you know, your house. I don't know where it was that Jesus first revealed himself to you as Messiah. But think about all the things that had to fall into place for you to be there. It was not random. Our passages tell us that. And by the way, there's about 30 more just like that all through scripture. I just picked the ones that were easiest to read. So here's the question for you. As we wind up Advent and after today, you will have our New Year's Eve party. I'll be in, I don't, y'all, I'll be in bed by like 9.30. I always am. I just It's amateur night, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but after we're done with Christmas and we're starting to take the decorations down, what I'm hoping is that maybe today, Is your Christmas at Jacob's Well? Maybe it's already happened. Maybe today you have tasted living water for the first time. And maybe now you have courage to leave your bucket behind. Because see, without your Jacob's Well moment, you will never understand what joy to the world really means. I love this story, don't you? There is so much nuance in this. It's not just about Jesus talking to a woman at the well. There are so many intricate parts of this story that make it so fascinating. I encourage you, after hearing this sermon, go back this week. Read it again. And ask God to help you reflect upon your personal advent. Say, God, can you reveal to me the supernatural stuff you did to bring me to that moment? And we got to study hers. This week, study yours. I'd love to hear some emails from you. I got to tell you, Pastor Joe, I was thinking about my Christmas at Jacob's Well, and here's all the things that God put in place for me to become a child. I'd love to hear them. Email me, joe at gracelifesrq.com. I'd love to hear the stories. Next week, we'll start our new sermon series on 2 Corinthians. I'm really excited about it. Had I had my way, we'd have started it early in December. The worship director said, no, we need to talk about Advent. I'm so glad she did. This story has changed a lot of perspectives for me about the holiday season. I hope it has you too. Dad, we're so thankful for that Christmas at Jacob's Well that you gave that Samaritan woman. Thank you so much that you used it not only to transform transform her life, but to give us insight as to how you impact ours. And as we wind up the holiday season, God, we are so thankful for personal Christmas.
0: As we prepare to leave this place today, I was thinking, this is our last song we're going to sing together this year.
1: (laughs) It is.